Well, this is the final sermon from a series that we've been going through in Acts 2.42 about what is it that formed the early church? What was it that they were devoted to? They were a vibrant, dynamic, missional church. So what is it that they were devoted to that helped to form them into this being this part of this sort of church? Um, what were the means that the Spirit was using to make them and to develop them into a church that had this sort of heart and character? And we've come again to Acts 2.42 over and over and we can, at this point, probably all of us think about what it is together. And they, were, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and as we'll see this morning here, and to the prayers. The early church was devoted to the prayers. And so this morning here, as we cover that, is going to be a sermon on prayer. A sermon on prayer would be way too easy to guilt all of us into here but myself included. Because most of us probably think that we don't pray enough. Most people aren't satisfied or aren't too satisfied with their prayer lives or they know that they fall short. Everyone says, I wish my prayer life could be a little bit better. Some of us have a hard time praying. We fumble through our prayers. Uh, we, we have a hard time even getting started, and then we, when we do, we quickly lose momentum as our minds begin to wander. We spend lots of time talking about prayer. We spend lots of time reading books about prayer. But yet prayer, at the end of the day, is a practice. And prayer takes practice. And that's especially true when we're talking about corporate prayer as well. Prayer, when the church comes together, when the saints come together for the, the purpose of petitioning and praying to God. Some, the same habits that we have for, for prayer, the, the mind wandering, not really knowing how to get started. Those are, those are some of the same habits that can emerge when, when we pray during the worship service. It's okay, I'm on the other end too. I understand it happens to me as well. Uh, also, there can be a general neglect, though, that we have of communal prayer outside of Sunday morning. Now, when we talk about this here, when we look at Acts 2.42, when they devoted themselves to the prayers, there is a specific context that is being talked about there of gathered prayer, of the church gathering together to pray. And not that, not that everything that today here that's going to be talked about doesn't apply to our personal prayers or to our private prayers but the prayers that are being talked about here in Acts are, were corporate prayers. It was the church coming together to pray. Remember, their devotion, their acts of devotion were, were communal. It was the church together being devoted to these four practices as they came together. And then they let them form them together. And this is a church where thousands, literally thousands upon thousands were being converted daily. And, 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 and that was a, this sort of was, ministry was being empowered by, by prayer. And it was more than just individual prayers. It was by the church that was coming together to pray. And the plural context of prayer in, in the Bible that we have is oftentimes forget, forgotten. Some of it may be because of our, our Western emphasis that we have on private devotions over communal practices. If you go to other parts of the world or even look throughout history before the modern West, people gather for prayer. People were gathered for prayer and it was a priority. Even the, that's the, the, the nature of the biblical witness too. The Psalms were prayed corporately. 
I mean, often the ones that, that we, we think of, too, were written in the first person plural. We, our, attend to our cry. And even also those ones that are, are in the singular, the first person singular, the I, the me, were still prayed together by, by the congregations. We even just did the Lord's Prayer as we, as we do every week, and we forget. What is the word that begins the Lord's Prayer? Our. And that word runs through it, right? Um, when we talk about, give us this day, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? Our, right? Protect us from, 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 from evil, the scriptures assume that God's people pray together. And it's the same here. The church devoted themselves to the prayers, praying together. See, prayer is like breathing. Right? Breathing is an analogy for prayer. And I wish I could come, I wish I could say I came up with that because it's so great. I can't, I read it in a book from someone else. But that person, though, also, we don't exactly know where, where this. This, uh, this, this is a, a, a attributed from originally. It was from the book said, well, he, he tried to figure out where this analogy comes from about prayer being like breathing. He didn't know. I don't know. But either way, it's really great. Prayer is like breathing. It's an analogy for breathing because breathing is foundational for life, right? How we draw air within our lungs, it's what we need to survive and to live because without oxygen, we die. And similarly, our life is derived from prayer. It's the breathing and we look to God for his provision. It is foundational for our existence. And to not pray doesn't mean that you're sick. You don't get sick if you don't breathe. When you don't breathe, you die. Prayer is our response to God then as, as dependent people. It happens when we know ourselves, our finitude our sinfulness, and it also happens, though, when we know God, when we know his character, how he sustains his mercy. Prayer is like breathing, right? It's, it's that foundation for life. But I would like to push that analogy a little bit further than what we've, than we just hear there. I would suggest that also prayer is the natural rhythm of how the body of Christ breathes. How does the body of Christ breathe? It's prayer. A properly functioning body requires this rhythmic breathing, right? Inhale, exhale. Corporate prayer is the regular rhythm of Christian life together. The body drawing in its breath. It inhales deeply to draw inward the life of Jesus. And then we exhale. We exhale in worship, in thanksgiving, and in confession. Prayer and this breathing here is the response of people who live before the face of God. See, the, the breathing of the human body, though, also goes unnoticed until something goes wrong. When was the last time you thought about your breathing, other than just a few, a few moments ago as you all start pondering your breathing? Likely, the last time that you thought about your breathing was when you had trouble breathing. We're often driven to deliberate corporate prayer when troubling circumstances arise. And it's like experiencing difficulty breathing there. We know it's time to come together and take deliberate breaths of prayer in those difficult times. Right. Those of us, there are some of us who can think back to, 
to September 11th and the, the gathered prayer that we had in those times because of, of a deep crisis. Lots of prayers that we can think of were happening. The, the people of God coming together to pray during the, all of the, the craziness of 2020 and 2021. Right? We pray together in moments of deep need and petition. But the body, though, the body needs its oxygen in every moment. Not just in those times when its breathing is obstructed. And the body of Christ needs its rhythmic prayers to inhale the life of Jesus and exhale his praises at all times. And not just merely in those difficult times where we might be drawn together. Is the body slowly suffocating and doesn't realize it? This is a time for us to take our breaths now, to fill our lungs and to get into the rhythm and habits of prayer together once more. Again, certainly personal prayer, but prayer together, prayer as the body. So let's breathe deeply together of the God who has given us this privilege of prayer so that our exhale that we have is full of praise and love. We're going to recapture prayer together this morning. And to do that, we're going to read... Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. This is, you know, as again, we've been looking at Acts 2.42 with another passage to help further explain and for us to, to think more uh, deeply about that devotion. And so this one on prayer is going to be from uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And before I, I read, uh, this is in the context of the armor of God. So to help us understand the context a little bit more, we're going to be of, of 18 and 20. Uh, I'm going to start out by reading 10 through 12 and then go in to starting with 18. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then Paul begins to talk about taking up the armor of God and concludes with this in verse 18 where we're going to focus. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. What is the context of prayer that we see here? Right? People come together to pray, as we said here, most often in difficult times. It happens in personal prayer, and especially happens in gathered prayer. And so for the prayer, I mean, we think about the prayer meeting. When is the prayer meeting generally full? When there's something specific to pray about that requires deliberate prayer. But after that crisis is passed, after that circumstance is over, what happens to the prayer meeting? It withers and it fades. And unfortunately, as people not prone to praying with one another, it takes a serious matter to bring us together. And it's interesting then that we think about the context for prayer that Paul brings up a serious situation before addressing prayer. 
He talks about a conflict, a spiritual conflict, an unseen conflict, a battle not between flesh and blood, but with the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. He talks about the schemes of the devil and the prince of the power of the air. Rival kingdoms are warring here. We have God's kingdom breaking into the present world and toppling the kingdom of darkness. And then the prince of darkness and his forces mounting an aggressive defensive campaign against God's people. There is an enemy who hates God and therefore hates you. Friends, he's hell-bent on destroying you. A spiritual enemy who will try to tear down everything that is good and everything and anything that is good in this world. An enemy who will wreck lives and who will enslave people to their sins and their fears using our own weaknesses and our own sinful inclinations. There's a conflict that's waging, right, that's going on right now, a conflict of incredible stakes. It involves a kingdom. It involves real people like us and unseen realities. And amid this here, Paul talks about this call to corporate gathered prayer. Does it take a serious matter to bring, or to bring us together to pray? Well, let's remember this conflict. Right? Paul exhorts us to put on the armor of God. And while doing so, he says, this is how it's donned. This is how it's used in prayer. Take up the armor of God, he says in verse 13. And then we come to our verse about prayer. Take up, and while you're doing so, praying at all times. Prayer is reaching out to the Lord amid the cosmic conflict. And yet this conflict is already decided. The war has been won by the cross and resurrection. Jesus has come and has crushed Satan. The battle's over, or the the war is, 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 is decided. But there's still these skirmishes that happen. But when we pray, we're reaching out to the Lord who has guaranteed victory in the cosmic conflict. And that's why we have confidence when we pray. Because our prayers are appealing to the conqueror. And when you pray appealing to the conqueror, that means that you can pray boldly. It means you can pray big. Right? When we think about that our prayers are going up to the one who has conquered darkness, why would we settle for little prayers? We can Pray, and we ought to pray for these tremendous realities and these giant requests. Even though Christ has conquered, we, we still pray because the war is settled, but it's not over yet. And people can get hurt. The enemy won't win, but he can still destroy. There are still prisoners who need liberated from their chains. And there are needs which arise in a fallen world. And when we think about these things, and we begin to, then to, to move to the content of our prayer. Not just the context for, for why we pray, but the content of our prayer. What is it that we are praying for? Well, Paul tells us in verse 18, all kinds of prayer. Right? In a group sharing prayer requests. Many times, what are they? They're, the, they're petitions for help and provision. And those are good. Those are well and fine. But prayers in the Bible, though, we see are for all kinds of things. In all kinds of situations involving all kinds of people. We talked about the Lord's Prayer before. Let's think about it again. The model prayer by Jesus. And what's it begin with? It begins with God's glory. Addressing God in his character. Our Father, right? 
presuming that we, we know him and extolling him for, for that, that relationality that he has. It is sanctifying his name. Hallowed be your name, right? And then we have the petitions for his kingdom and for his will to be done. And then only after those times there are the petition, or the, those personal petitions brought forward. Ones like our daily provision, our, our daily bread. Provision in our spiritual care. Protection from evil. Protection from the evil one. Keeping us from temptation. This is a hard one. Giving us the ability to forgive others. There's also, though, in their confession. Careful, deliberate prayer includes confession. See, the Lord's Prayer shows us all kinds of prayer. Deep prayer. Prayer with God at its center. Prayer that looks at ourselves deeply, seeing our whole needs as whole people. And then praying that looks beyond ourselves and looks even, even beyond others. And it prays for his kingdom. These are prayers, though, all for, of, of all kinds, though also for all kinds of people. We heard in our, our reading this morning, our New Testament reading from 1 Timothy 2, prayers for governors and rulers and authorities, praying for things like peace. Peace for its own sake, but peace also for the gospel's sake, so it might go out. Praying for peace and for the needs of our communities. It prays for all kinds of people, but also, though, it prays especially for the saints, for our brothers and sisters in the faith. Verse 18, then, Paul continues to say, pray, making supplication for all the saints, our brothers and sisters, those whom we have been united and knit together with Christ, those who are our relations closer than blood, fellow members of the, the living, breathing body of Christ. See, praying for the fellow saints is, is building up the body. It is serving the kingdom as it's manifest and seen within the church. It's how the body expresses its fellowship through prayer and prayer with one another, prayer for one another, and prayer with one another. The body breathing as one, lifting up one another's needs. See, our fellowship is spiritual. Prayer is done by the Spirit and His power. He is the air which fills our lungs as we breathe, and His breath then gives vocalization to our prayers as we exhale. If the church loves one another, then it prays for one another. It's the obligation of love that we have with one another. We pray not just because we love them, but we pray knowing how helpless we are. We pray knowing how helpless we are, but also coming to the, praying to the God who can do all things. And the one who has bound himself to us by covenant. I mean, how helpless are we when a fellow member... In our church has cancer or some other degenerative disease. How helpless are we when someone faces the loss of a child? How helpless are we when someone is struggling with their sinful inclinations? We can't do anything to fix it, but we can pray. We can bring them before the throne of God and entrusting them to him, offering petition for them on their behalf. The thing is, we can also pray with them. We can pray with them in the moment. Love requires actually praying rather than so many times when we utter those words, I'll pray, because we don't know what else to say. But prayer is also, though, 
for the proclamation of the gospel, as Paul tells us too. Because Paul says, pray for, pray for the saints. Oh, and also pray for me too. Pray for me as I proclaim the gospel, even as I am a prisoner in change. We don't pray to what John Stott calls a village God who is only concerned with us right here. And our prayers only being prayers to a village God. But we, have a, uh, we pray to an eternal, transcendent, sovereign God who has plans that are eternal for a kingdom coming into this world. A kingdom of new creation. A kingdom to bring all things in Christ, under Christ and his dominion. A kingdom here of reconciliation, of forgiveness. A kingdom of renewal for lost and broken people. When we are told to pray, your kingdom come, that happens fundamentally through the proclamation. It is a message that renews and gives life. It's a message that ushers in the kingdom because Christ is at the center of it. There's no life without him. The deeds of mercy that we see as, as part of the, of the kingdom there are, are, are part of the kingdom, but there are signs. And signs need explanation, don't they? And so the proclamation of Christ tears down the kingdom of darkness. It builds the kingdom of God in a cosmic conflict here. We are told to wield a weapon of life, not of death. In the middle of all this, we, as we are, are building the kingdom of God, as we're working here, as we are praying, the tool that we're asked, though, to, that, that we're given, though, is asking God to do what only he can build. See, prayer is vital. God's power in the gospel and through people speaking. God's power, God's power is in the gospel and through people speaking. See, Paul doesn't exempt himself here. Bold Paul, we think about Paul. Right? If anyone doesn't need prayer for, for speaking, it's Paul, right? But even he knows his own inability. Even he knows his own weakness. And he asks for prayer because without God's power, he knows that proclamation goes lifeless. And if proclamation goes lifeless, then the kingdom goes nowhere. But when prayer is joined with the proclamation of Christ, then God's power is at work and the kingdom expands and the kingdom deepens. Again, we think about this. These are, these are big prayers. These are kingdom prayers. Prayers for the transcendent kingdom of God to come and to continue to, to, to spread across the earth. This is what God tells us to pray for. We pray boldly. Pray big. A kingdom like this with a God like this means that we can pray boldly with big prayers for this kingdom. That's what it means to pray according to his will. Aligned with what he wants. He wants his kingdom to grow. He gave his son for it. He gave his spirit to continue to be at work. And so if he gave those, if he gave his son, if he gave the spirit, then why would he ignore the petitions of his people? He invites us to join in. And so a vibrant church taking seriously its mission is regular engage, regularly engaged in these prayers. There is no power without prayer like this. And a church that doesn't pray only goes through the motions of making disciples. But how? Now that's the content. We talked about the context of prayer, the content of prayer. But what about how? How do we pray? Praying in this manner. As Paul says in verse 18, praying in the spirit. Right? 
Prayer is deeply spiritual, capital S, spiritual. We have weak prayer at best without the Holy Spirit. But really, though, we'd have, there's no prayer without him because the Spirit unites us to Jesus. And Jesus gives us the right to, to, to come before our Father and to call him as our Father. The call to prayer is a summons by God to enter into his presence and to come before his throne, asking requests of a king, of the heavenly sovereign over the universe. And how else can anyone else stand before this God apart from Jesus? How can, could any of us on our own hope to gain an audience? Well, it's because of Jesus. And without the Spirit, we are distant from him. The Spirit takes Jesus' hand, puts it in ours, and then brings us before the Father, who is now our Father. Because we don't now have to coerce him in prayer as our Father. He is waiting to hear our requests he delights to give us good things. He delights when we come before him and we pray. And as before, our prayer is weak at best without the spirit. Which is why that spirit that we're given also is the spirit of prayer. Romans 8, we're told that the spirit of God here helps us in our weakness as we pray. In fact, the spirit himself intercedes for us as we pray. And that's so good. In those times, if you're like me, when we start to pray and then just don't know where to start and then you have a hard time getting going and your mind starts to wander, you start repeating the same things and then you end up leaving your time of prayer more discouraged than when you first started. The Spirit prays with us. The Spirit prays for us. When we pray, do we, do we pray before we pray? Do we pray before we pray? Especially in those times when we don't know how to pray or what to pray. We can pray before we pray for the spirit of prayer to help us. Praying, though, in the spirit is also done corporately. It's done together because the church itself is a house of prayer where the spirit of God resides. Earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, Paul writes about the church being brought together into a new temple, a new house founded upon, or upon the, the foundation of, of, of Christ and the apostles there, but within which this new temple is the Spirit. See, members of the church are stones that are built together, just like a temple. Worship happens in a temple, the Old Testament temple was full of worship and they were offering the sacrifices and as they went up to God they were described as a sweet smell to him. Now the New Testament church together we don't offer offer sacrifices of of animals. What do we offer? Prayer and praise. And we pray in the spirit as we come together and our prayers then go up like incense. They go up like those offerings, spiritual offerings and pleas that are sweet smelling to God. He delights in them when we pray. See, there's something that's special in, in, in prayer together. This is the temple gathered with stones that are stacked upon one another as a form of our worship together. We also pray, though, with a watchful perseverance as well. As Paul tells us in verse 18, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert in perseverance and in prayer. Keeping watch, that's necessary in times of conflict. 
And it's just as vital as in this spiritual conflict that we're in. There's a very real enemy who's seeking to destroy you and others. So stay alert. Keep a watchful eye out for the needs of others and the needs of the church. And pray. Take up the spiritual implements of prayer. And it means that we need to be attentive to those around us then. What are the needs of those who are around you? Do you know the weaknesses of your brothers and sisters? Where they're struggling? And how they need to be strengthened? Pray for them. Pray for them as you know them. Pray for them as you listen to them. And just simply pray for them too. And pray for them. Uh, and, and, and also this means for you too in your own struggles, and your own weaknesses, be open so that you too can receive prayer. Seek prayer. Pray yourself and pray with others too. Watchfulness, though, also keeps an, an eye out for how God responds to our prayers. It looks for opportunities to praise God for his goodness. And it also keeps us alert to, to seeing how he might answer them and answer them maybe differently than we, than we asked, yet without any detriment, though, to his goodness. Balanced prayer asks, and it also praises and it thanks. Prayer isn't instantaneous, right? It takes time. It takes patience. As Paul says, it takes perseverance. And that's part of prayer's difficulty. It's a discipline to pray and to continue in prayer as we, re as we repeatedly ask God for perhaps the same thing over and over and over, maybe even for years. But patience is a part of prayer. A reason that we sometimes neglect prayer is because it seems so inefficient. Why bother taking the time to pray when we can just do, when we can act? But friends, when has efficiency ever been a Christian virtue? Where is efficiency extolled by the Bible? Our God doesn't often work in ways that we would call efficient. What are Christian virtues? It's faith, perseverance, watchfulness. All of these things are foundations for prayer. We need to think again about how we pray to a father, a good father who wants to hear us, who delights in us, a father who gives us free access to him with boldness and at any time in any place. It's a special privilege that he has given to us graciously that has been bought for us by his son. And when we pray, we are enabled by his spirit. Those beautiful words from Paul in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All we need to do is ask. None of this is intended to guilt us into praying more. Or to guilt us into praying together more. Prayer is done in faith. It's not done in fear. In fact, praying out of guilt isn't praying out of faith. And nothing wrecks a prayer life like guilt, right? No one comes expectantly to pray together if they feel guilted into being there. But rather, though, it's for us to see our need more clearly. To see the wonder of God who, who beckons us to come before him. And for us to delight in prayer, not having it as an afterthought of when we gather together. We pray to the eternal God with whom we have a unique relationship by his grace alone. 
I'd like to close with the, the words from earlier in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, to you, we lift up our, our hearts. To you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask, all that we could even think. Lord, why would we not pray to you? Lord, allow us to pray boldly, to pray, no, to pray with this sort of expectancy, also because you are able to do far more abundantly than even we can even imagine as we pray. Stoke our prayer lives, not out of guilt, but out of love, for this is a, a privilege of what it means to have Christ as our Savior, to have Christ as our brother, and to be given the Spirit of God among us. May this ignite our prayer lives as individuals, but God, would it be something that we would love to do together? That our, we would see our prayers as being a sacrifice, as an offering, as something that is an, an incense, a, a sweet smell and, savior, and savor in your nostrils. And that you look down on us in a, in a well-pleased manner. Give us strength and endurance to pray boldly amid the conflict that we are in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.